0: Amen. Well, at the beginning of the service, I mentioned a number of uh, groups of people of our congregation that were gone uh, and have come back. Uh, one I didn't mention is uh, a, a portion of our worship team. There are six members of our worship team and myself. We, uh, this week, got to go uh, to the distant land of Frisco, Texas and uh, for the, the Sovereign Grace Music Worship God Conference, a conference for church musicians and uh, pastors and worship leaders. And it was just an incredible time of being refreshed, by the preaching of God's Word, by singing together, uh, being refreshed by fellowship with one another, talking about the Lord, talking about the Gospel, uh, talking about how we can grow as worship leaders, and then also just being equipped uh, in our uh, our the practical nuts and bolts of of music and tech and all the things that go into uh, leading and I just want to say on behalf of our worship team to you uh, the congregation of Rocky Point thank you because it was through your generosity that we were able to take our team to go to this conference and it is it was just an, an incredible time of of refreshment and equipping, and so thank you for for enabling us to be able to do that uh, and uh, allow us to be equipped like that. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. We're going to take a break this morning uh, from our Ezra Nehemiah series. Lord willing, we'll return to that next Sunday. We're going to be in Matthew 18, and before we read Uh, I would like to uh, just give some context for the Gospel of Matthew and explain uh, where we are uh, in the the greater context of what Matthew is doing in his Gospel. So, of course, the Gospel of Matthew is all about the ministry of Jesus that culminates in his death on the cross on behalf of sinners, his resurrection, triumphing over the grave— And as Matthew uh, records all of these things for the church, he structures his gospel around five major teaching blocks. Five major teaching blocks. In Matthew 5 through 7, we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount. uh, That includes things like the Lord's Prayer, Beatitudes. That's the first teaching block. The second one we find in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus sends his disciples out on mission. The third one we have in Matthew 13, uh, the parables, uh, including like the parable of the sower and uh, the parable of the pearl of great price, things like that. The fifth one, I know I'm skipping one, the fifth one is in Matthew 23 to 25, and it's all about the end times anticipating Jesus' return. Well, this morning we're going to be in Matthew 18, which is the fourth main teaching block of Matthew's gospel, and Matthew 18 is all about life in the church. We're just going to look at one verse of Matthew 18 this morning, uh, Matthew 18:15. But I'd like for us to read the whole chapter because this teaching block was intended to be read as one unit, and we really can't understand any one verse in this chapter apart from understanding the whole uh, discourse in Matthew 18. So, if you would, uh, hopefully, you're at Matthew chapter 18. And read along with me as I read from Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. "...to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray?" And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Here's our verse. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If you are in Christ this morning... If you've repented of sin, trusted in Jesus, if He's made you His child, I hope you realize that you are a citizen of a kingdom. A citizen of a kingdom that hasn't fully arrived yet. Our God created the universe and everything in it. He created human beings to reign over them. That His glory might be put on display in all of the world. But of course, Sin, when man sinned against God, he rebelled against his creator. Rather than enjoy the gift of relationship that God created, man rebelled against God and made God his enemy. There was brokenness. Not only was there brokenness in the relationship between man and God, there was brokenness among relationships within human beings. All of the world has been broken by sin, corrupted by sin. We feel the effects of the fall every day. But God, from before the foundations of the world, had a plan, a plan to renew the earth, a plan to reconcile rebels to himself, that they might once again have the gift of relationship, that they might once again honor God, that they might once again be the pure, spotless bride of Christ that he always intended for them to be. And if you have trusted in Christ, he has made you part of this future kingdom, a kingdom where there is a new heaven and a new earth and everything is restored, where every tear is wiped away, where every sin has been forgiven. Where we are perfected. We have glorified bodies. Sin nature is done away with. Death is no more. We love God perfectly. We love one another perfectly. Every relationship is restored and perfect. This is the kingdom that Christ has brought us into. This is our future hope. But, even though we are citizens of that kingdom that's in the future, that's certainly not our experience of being part of the kingdom today. In the future, we'll be sinless citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but today we are sinful citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We belong to God. We belong to that kingdom, but we live in this world. We live feeling the effects of sin. We live in the constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. I want to do some things, but then I don't do those things. And I do the things that I don't want to do. And it's this constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. And we, as citizens of the kingdom, are called to honor God, called to love one another. And yet, we have this sin. This sin that gets in between us. This sin that, I mean, we, we sin all over each other. I mean, we're just sinning all over the place. Yet, we're supposed to be these members of the kingdom. We're supposed to be loving one another. And, and we're supposed to be tasting what, what's to come. And so, here and now, until that day comes, how do we, as citizens of that kingdom, live today as sinners? That's what Matthew 18 is all about. We're citizens now of this kingdom, but we are dealing with the effects of the fall still in this world. We're still still dealing with sin in our hearts, in our lives. And so, all of Matthew 18 answers the question, how do we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven the kingdom that is to come, how do we live in as citizens of that kingdom today even as we feel the effects of sin? And our particular verse today can be summarized like this. Our King Jesus calls us to love one another by humbly confronting each other about our sin. Our King Jesus calls us to love one another by humbly confronting each other about our sin. So we're going to look at this verse, Matthew 18, 15, in five steps. First, we're going to look specifically at Christ's instruction that he gives in Matthew 18, 15. Second, we're going to look at sinful alternatives to what Jesus instructs. Third, we're going to look at the Christ-like attitude that ought to underpin Christ's instructions, and then lastly, uh, or uh, we'll, we'll look at some contexts in which we would apply this verse, and also how to respond when we're confronted about our own sin. But first, let's look at Christ's instruction more closely in Matthew eighteen fifteen. Read with me, if you would, Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So first thing that Jesus presents us with in this verse is a scenario. A scenario. If your brother sins against you. If your brother sins against you. Well, we've already established this is really common. We sin against each other all the time. Brothers and sisters in Christ sin against each other all the time. Church members sin against one another. Husbands sin sin against wives, and wives sin against husbands. Children sin against parents. Parents sin against children. Pastors sin against church members. Church members sin against pastors. We, We sin all the time against one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this scenario being very common today as we wait for that future kingdom, we ought to know how should we respond to it. How should we respond in this common scenario when our brother sins against us or our sister sins against us? Well, second, Jesus tells us the action that we should take when this scenario arises. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Go and tell him his fault. When this happens, we're supposed to go to our brother or sister and confront them. Rebuke them. Tell them what they've done. And he gives a little explanation of the manner in which we should do this. So he gives us the scenario, the action we should take in the scenario, and the manner by which we should do this action. Go and tell him his fault. In what way? Between you and him alone. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to confront, rebuke, One-on-one, privately. But why would we do this? Why would we want to do this? Well, lastly, in this verse, we have the desired result of this action. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The goal in all of this is to win your brother, to gain your sister back. We want our brother or sister who sinned against us to to be one. That's the desired result. So we have the scenario, the action, the manner by which we're supposed to do that, and the desired result of this action. This common scenario in which someone sins against us, we ought to confront them about their sin privately in order to win them. It seems simple enough. The instruction is really clear. But there are several sinful alternatives when... We encounter this scenario, we often do something else, other than what Jesus instructed us to do. So, second, let's look at sinful alternatives to Christ's instructions. The first way that we respond other than how Christ instructed us to is with silence. Jesus says in Matthew 18:15, to go and tell, but instead we often respond with silence, not speaking. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, first of all, we open ourselves up to the temptation to bitterness. We open ourselves up to the temptation to hold a grudge. And often we quickly walk past the opening and go straight into just holding the grudge. And we remain silent because we would rather just hold a grudge and be bitter toward our brother or sister than actually deal with the problem. But this is inconsistent with what we've seen in Matthew 18. We don't want to open ourselves up to the temptation to bitterness. What we saw in Matthew 18 is that we should amputate those things which tempt us to sin. So we shouldn't be silent and and, and tempt ourselves to sin by holding a grudge and growing bitter. We need to amputate that and speak up and address this issue. I mean, don't don't we just, you know, wanna keep silent just, to just keep the peace. I just I just I'm just gonna let it go. I don't wanna cause a conflict. It sounds good, but what does that say about your concern for your brother or sister's soul? My brother or sister has sinned against me. Oh, they're 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 in sin, I'll just let it go. Is that consistent? With the attitude that we see in Matthew 18. Where we see that it would. What ought to be our attitude is. I would rather drown in the sea. Than see my brother stumble. I would rather have a stone tied around my neck. And be tossed into the sea. Than see my sister in sin. I would rather leave the 99. And go chase after him. Go chase after her. That's the attitude that Christ has brought us into through his death and resurrection. The problem is we often, when we're sinned against, we think about it, we define it in terms that are about us. We're offended. We're sinned against. They, I'm right. They're wrong. They sinned against me rather than realizing that they are hurting themselves by sin. We should be concerned more about how they are sinning and hurting themselves than how we're offended and how uh, we're disrespected by their sin against us. I mean, let me ask you this. If your child stepped out into traffic, would you say, "Ah, oh, I'm just going to let it go. I don't want to cause a conflict. Would Would you just say, um, Oh, you know, or, or, or would you take offense and say, oh, well, they disrespected my authority. I, I'll just let them get what's coming to them. I'm just going to... No! You would, you would yell at them. You would run out in there and snatch them out. Get them back onto the sidewalk. Because at that point, you don't care how much they disrespected your authority and they just need to be put... In their... No, you want to save them. They're about to harm themselves. And you, want to, you care about their soul. You care about their life more than you care about yourself in that moment. That ought to be our attitude when our brother or sister sins against us, that we have more concern about their soul than about our honor or our respect. The second sinful alternative. So maybe we don't keep our mouths shut. Maybe it's not silence. Sometimes we don't keep our mouths shut. We do open up our mouth, but to the wrong person. We don't open up our mouth to our brother or sister who sinned against us, we go tell someone else, speaking to the wrong people. Jesus says, go tell him his fault. But we often go to someone else before we go to our brother or sister who sinned against us, which is known in the Bible as the sin of gossip. We, of course, have some creative terminology that we like to use for this. Uh, venting, blowing off steam, uh, my personal favorite, a prayer request. But Jesus just calls it gossip. When we go to someone else, instead of going to our brother, we're in sin. We're responding to sin with sin. And that doesn't make matters better. This may look uh, like a variety of different things. You know, the old cliche, you know, the... uh, uh, the guy going, you know, going to the, the, the proverbial barber shop and talking about the guys about his wife or the wife going to the nail salon or I don't know, whatever the cliche might be. Uh, today, it probably looks more like going on social media and venting about something rather than confronting the person privately or uh, sending a text or whatever the case may be. There's a lot of reasons why this is uh, wrong, one of the reasons why it is dangerous to go to someone else before we go to the person who sinned against us, besides the fact that it's sinful, one of the reasons it's dangerous is because we might be wrong about whether or not our brother or sister sinned against us. We might think that they sinned against us when really it was a misunderstanding. The reason why this is, is close to my heart is I, as I was reflecting on this, I thought of three different friends of mine in ministry who were fired from their positions of ministry because someone failed to obey Matthew 18.15. In each case, my friend, someone thought my friend did something wrong. But rather than go to him about it, and find out that he didn't actually do that. They went to someone else. They went above his head. And rather than confront him about this, he was removed from his position, fired from his position. Three friends that I can think of that this has happened to because sadly pastors didn't read Matthew 18:15 and obey Matthew 18:15. Pastors tried to do what they thought was right rather than what Jesus thought was right. This disobeying this command can have massive massive consequences. You can ruin lives by not obeying Matthew 18:15. You can ruin your marriage by not obeying Matthew 18:15. You can divide and destroy a church by disobeying Matthew 18:15. By assuming that you know better than Jesus how to deal with a brother or sister who sins against you. So we might wrongly respond with silence when a brother or sister sins against us. We might wrongly respond with speaking to the wrong people. Third, though, we might speak to the right person, speak to our brother or sister who sins against us, but in the wrong way. When Jesus says to go and tell your brother his fault, he is not saying go angrily chew him out and put him in his place. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says you want to gain your brother, win your brother, not put him in his place. Not only that, another wrong way that we can speak to the right person is to do it in a public way, to do it in a shaming, embarrassing way. But Jesus says, go to him and tell him this fall between you and him alone. We don't want to be like Frank Costanza around the dinner table at Festivus, airing his grievances about everyone saying, I've got a lot of problems with you people. We don't want to embarrass, a lot of you missed that reference, so we'll we'll talk about it later. I knew that would flop, I shouldn't have done that. Anyway, we shouldn't air our grievances publicly about our brother or sister who sins against us. We're not trying to shame them, put them in our place, get vindication for ourselves. We want to win our brother. So those are three sinful alternatives to obeying Jesus' command in Matthew 18, 15. But I want to make sure that we see that all three of these aren't just, it's not just breaking the rules. It's not like Jesus said this, and I did something else, and therefore that's why it's wrong. No, there's something deeper. There's something more serious going on. The problem with each one of these is that it reveals a heart attitude that's unchristlike. It reveals the wrong attitude that we ought to have about our brother or sister in sin. So, what is the Christ like attitude that we ought to have toward our brother or sister in sin? What is the Christ like attitude that will lead naturally to obeying Jesus' command? Well, let's look now at number three, Christ-like attitude. First of all, humility. Humility. Matthew 18 begins addressing the issue, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one with childlike humility. And Jesus' command in Matthew 18, 15 makes no sense without a humble attitude. Consider with me, if you would, Jesus' example of humility. We see a couple chapters later in Matthew 20, 28, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many the God who made the heavens and the earth washed the dirty, nasty feet of the man who would betray him. Second Corinthians 8-9 reminds us that though he was rich, he became poor for us. He humbled himself, Paul says in Philippians 2, taking on the form of a man and humbling himself even Further by being obedient, and even further than that, being obedient to the point of death on a cross. That was the humility that Jesus showed in order to win us. If I, when my brother or sister sins against me, if my response is to feel greater and for them to be lesser, I've missed it, because typically again, we think about it in terms of how we were wronged, how we were offended that that he owes me, that i'm in the right, she's in the wrong, and so therefore i i don't need it i i'm, I'm fine'm I'm, I'm golden they owe me i'm not I'm, I'm not defiled they're the one who sinned. So she owes me, he owes me. But the attitude that we ought to have from Matthew 18 is not he owes me, but to remember the incredible debt that we owed God that he forgave us. A debt that we could never in a million lifetimes repay. That was the mercy and grace that our God showed us. That was the generosity that he showed us. And so when we realized how much debt we had incurred, and our brother or sister sins against us, the last thing that we ought to be thinking is that we're greater and they're lesser. No, 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 no. We are the same. We are all beggars in need of mercy. And in Christ, our brothers and sisters, we are all recipients of infinite generosity. With this attitude of humility... We won't hold a grudge in a position of power, using it to our advantage as leverage over our brother or sister. With an attitude of humility, we won't gossip, making ourselves look better in someone else's eyes in contrast to our sinful brother or sister. We won't lash out in anger or put our brother or sister to shame in self-righteousness. No, we'll recognize that we are all sinners all recipients of God's mercy. And therefore, we should all have an attitude of humility, recognizing that we are nothing apart from the mercy of our Savior. Which leads me to the second aspect of this attitude that ought to underpin these actions, and that's one of mercy. Mercy. If our hearts are shaped by our Savior who spoke the words of Matthew 18, our attitude is not going to be, Jesus, how long do I have to put up with this guy? Like seven times? No. Our attitude is going to be one of extravagant mercy. I will forgive him 70 times seven if that means I get to win my brother or sister back. Because when our brother or sister sins against us and we go to them, we're not trying to get something out of it. We're not trying to get something. Vindication. We're not trying to get retribution. We're not trying to get the honor that was robbed from us. No, we're trying to give. If we go to a brother or sister in sin, we want to give them mercy, give them forgiveness, give them grace. That's a heart shaped by the gospel of Jesus because that is the heart of our Savior. If you struggle with giving mercy, if you struggle with bitterness, if you struggle with unforgiveness, It may just be that you've forgotten how much mercy you've received at the cross of Jesus. And so I would invite you, go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. Behold the mercy that our God showed to us. This God in perfect holiness that we sinned against. This God with riches of glory and magnificence that we thought wasn't as good as an earthly treasure. This God that we owed an a debt that we could never, ever repay. Yet, this God sent His Son, Jesus. He left the 99 to come chase after us in our sin. Who forgave us this debt that we never could have repaid. Who showed us extravagant mercy and continues to show us mercy day after day, sin after sin, over and over and over. Mercy, 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 mercy in Christ. We get treated like Christ deserved to be treated, not like we deserve to be treated. And so I would invite you, return to the cross, see this mercy on display. In your private worship, as you're in the Word and in prayer, preach the Gospel to yourself. Look at the glories of the Gospel, the multifacets of this diamond that is the good news of Jesus Christ, the mercy that our God has bestowed upon us. In public worship, come, behold, the cross the mercy that our God has shown us as we sing about the truth of the gospel, as we take the Lord's Supper together, as we hear the gospel from the pages of this precious word. Remind yourself, go back to the cross and remind yourself of the mercy that our God has shown to you. In your evangelism, as you share this great news with other people, may it stir up your soul to remember just how terrible your condition was before you were shown the mercy of God. Remind yourself of the mercy that you received in the gospel, and when you remember that, you can't help. You can't help but go chase after your brother or sister and show them mercy. You can't stay silent and just let them go off and not receive this mercy that you received. You won't gossip about them. You, won't choose, you also won't choose to go run after them and make sure They know how astray that they've gone. No, 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 no. When that is your, when your consciousness is saturated by the mercy that you've received from Jesus, you will pursue your brother or sister and show them mercy that they might know a taste of the amazing mercy that you've received from Jesus. Humility, mercy, and lastly, a desire for reconciliation and all of the sinful alternatives to Jesus' command. Reconciliation is no help. In fact, if you want to hold a grudge, if you want to gossip, if you want to treat your brother with anger, it's actually to your advantage that your relationship is broken. When you hold a grudge, you are holding on to that which is dividing your relationship with your brother or sister. When you gossip, you're not being a peacemaker. You're recruiting others to your side of the war. When you lash out in anger and put your brother in his place, you're taking advantage of this new divide between you rather than pursuing that peace that you had with your brother or sister before. We ought to be broken over the fact that our relationship with our brother or sister has been damaged, even though it wasn't our fault. We ought to be sad that we don't have that precious peace that we had with our brother or sister before. Consider Jesus' work of reconciliation, what he did to restore our relationship with God. Do you realize that Jesus, when we sinned against a holy God, he didn't just let it go. He didn't just, ah, yeah, I'll just kind of brush it aside. He didn't even just forgive us. Although, what an amazing gospel it would be if it just stopped at being forgiven the debt that we owed. He did more than forgive. He didn't just say, all right, I'm going to let you off. I forgive you. Go on your merry way. No. He brought us to himself. He freed us from slavery to sin to free us to himself. He gave us, in his mercy, the gift of relationship. He reconciled us. So, brothers and sisters, long for peace with your spiritual siblings. When your brother or sister sins against you and damage, and they damage the relationship that you once had, Long for that peace that you had before. Don't, don't get offended that you were sinned against. Get, be sad that you've lost your brother or sister. Be sad that, that anything would threaten the peace that you have in Christ between one another. When your heart is for reconciliation, you can't stay silent. You have to go win them back. You have to get them back. You're willing to endure difficult and even awkward conversations, because it's worth it if I can just have my sister back, if I can just have my brother back. And you will desire peace, not only in your relationship, but you'll desire the peace that that healthy relationship causes in all of the relationships in its orbit. When we treat our brother or sister who sins against us with humility, when we think of them with a heart of mercy, a desire for reconciliation, It will change the way that we confront them in their sin. We will change the words and actions we use. It will shape how we confront them. We will be asking, when we think about selecting words and occasion and time for confronting them, we'll ask, what words can I choose that would show mercy to them? We'll ask, when could I confront my brother in such a way that I would win them? This is the attitude that Christ had toward us in our sin. And this is the attitude, if our heart is shaped by the gospel, that we will have toward our brothers and sisters. And so as we uh, reach the end here, I want to look at some contexts for application. Where can we apply these attitudes? Well, first, the immediate area of application of Matthew 18 is within the church. As we said, Matthew 18 is all about life within the kingdom of God, life within the church. We established that this scenario of if my brother sins against me, it happens all the time. It's very common. And so that being the case, Matthew 18, 15, this should be happening all the time. This should be common. Because the following verses in Matthew 18 deal with what we would call church discipline or um, at the end of this process, excommunication. We think of this passage typically as a break glass in case of emergency chapter. Like in, in a really extreme, weird case, oh man, what did Jesus say about handling this? But how often do we sin against each other? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you gain your brother. This, this happens all the time. So we ought to see Matthew eighteen fifteen happening all the time in a healthy church. Loving, humble, merciful, brother-winning, sister-winning confrontation. We ought to see this happening all the time. Sometimes, we make the mistake of thinking that A healthy church is a perfect church where nothing bad ever happens. And if we acknowledged it, then we would acknowledge that we aren't perfect and then people would know we weren't perfect and we want to be a perfect church. But a healthy church is not a perfect church this side of heaven. A healthy church is a church that's broken over their sin. That loves one another enough to go and chase after each other in sin. A church that Gives mercy and mercy that forgives 70 times 7. That's a healthy church. It's a church shaped by the gospel. It's a church that feels their need for mercy and feels the generosity, the overwhelming mercy of God. What about in marriage? A failure to apply Matthew 18 15 in marriage can be devastating to a marriage. Alyssa and I have only been married uh, two years, Uh, but two years is plenty of time for two sinners to sin against one another, in case you didn't know. And so I can already attest to this, as I'm sure that those of you who are married in the room are aware, when when our spouse sins against us, and we just think, ah, ah, I'm just going to let it go, I'm just going to keep the peace, Here's here's what happens. Just let it go, and and then but but underneath the surface there's just this little tension building, and then happens again. Like, ah, just gonna let it go. But then there's this tension building, and then time after time these little things all start to add up, and the tension gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Before you know it, one day there's a, a sock on the floor, and there's this explosion, and it's like what in the. Uh, It has nothing to do with the sock. It's all of this tension that's been building over and over and over and over. When we fail to obey Matthew 18, 15 and go to our brother, go to our sister in their sin and restore that relationship, win them, make things right, we are asking for trouble. We are asking for devastation. We are asking for explosion. Think about the effect that following Matthew 18, 15 would have on your children. You know, however you respond when you're sinned against teaches your child how they ought to respond when they're sinned against. How you respond to them when they sin against you. You have the option of teaching them God's mercy that you've received or teaching them judgment and wrath and you're teaching your children about the character of God you're teaching your children about how you have been treated by God imagine the effect on them as they see you and your spouse confront one another in a humble merciful way not trying to say that there's not sin addressing sin Identifying for what it is, but in a humble way that says we are both sinners. And if this is going to work, we've got to show mercy on one another. And we want to show mercy because this is what we received in Christ. And while Matthew 18 is primarily about relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ, just imagine with me the effect that following this would have on unbelievers in your life co-workers, family members. Imagine the witness when you are the one person not participating in the conversation that is laced with gossip. Imagine the witness when you come and confront them about sin, not in arrogance, not in self-righteousness, but in mercy and humility. And imagine the witness if they confront you about your sin and you respond with humility and you respond with an admission that, yes, I am a sinner and I have been shown great mercy by our God and I would love to share it with you. So, lastly, as we conclude, you know, if we take Matthew eighteen fifteen seriously, and we leave here with a desire to follow our Lord. There's some of us in this room that are about to be rebuked. <laughs> There's some of us who our brother or sister may have been silent about when we sinned against them. And we may have even forgotten about it. And we're about to have a conversation that might be a little awkward, might be a little difficult. And so I want to just think about briefly, how, how do we respond when we are the, on the receiving end of Matthew 18:15. Well, first of all, again, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The one with childlike humility. Respond with humility. You're not better than that. When your brother or sister, even if they're wrong, comes to you and says, you did this, you're not better than that. You're capable of whatever it is that they, that they thought you did, and uh, likely it's true. So respond with humility. Respond with gratitude. I know that seems totally backwards to our world, but respond with gratitude that your brother or sister would leave the 99 and come after you. Respond with gratitude that they would love you enough to not want to leave you in your sin. And of course, respond with repentance. Respond by turning away from this, by making things right. And respond by asking for forgiveness. Respond with that same desire for reconciliation. Respond with brokenness that you would do anything that would damage the relationship and, and ask for forgiveness. Be glad that your brother or sister wanted to win you back. So as, as we conclude, we have been given so much mercy in Christ. We have been given so much mercy in Christ. The one who showed humility to us. The one who showed grace and kindness to us, the one who reconciled us to God. So may our lives, our marriages, our families, our church, church be shaped by this mercy. May we give the mercy that we have received and praise the Lord that we have received it and praise him with one voice as a unified church brought together by the blood of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the incredible mercy that you've shown us. Thank you for the gift of your kindness. Thank you for looking at sinners like us. And demonstrating your love by sending Jesus to die for us. Lord, may we be so overwhelmed by your great mercy for us that we would be delighted to give mercy to one another. That we would have joy in winning our brothers and sisters back. Or that we wouldn't be afraid to confront one another. That we wouldn't be afraid to go to our brother or sister but Lord, that we would desire to give the mercy that you have given to us. Lord, we love you and we pray to you and ask that you would be honored as we go from this place seeking to obey your word, live for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.